Hello, everybody. It's so great to be here to gather with you all. Hope you don't mind. I'm going to sit and use my laptop. I'm not as cool as Pastor Dave. Um, but one day, maybe, maybe one day I'll have an iPad and I can actually run around. But I'm going to be sitting today uh, as we dive into some more scripture this morning. Um, and really, um, that last song is the heart of this message today, um, that God would lead us into, the, into his love to those around us. Um, so I'm super excited to be here. I'm super thankful that Pastor Dave asked me to come and speak again to be a part of this spin series. What a phenomenal series it's been. I hope you all have been enjoying it as much as I have. I love scripture. I'm a nerd. I love to take to dive into scripture. I know there's lots of uh, verses that were like, oh, this means this or that. And, you know, to, to take them and go, what is what's really here? What is there more to this? You know, is this all there is to this verse or is there something um, below the surface that we're missing? And so I've loved this series and I pray that um, you all have been enjoying as much as I have, that you've been growing and being challenged uh, from this time. And thank you to everyone who uh, spoke to me after I uh, preached last time. I was uh, blown away by the encouraging words. I don't know if everyone took to heart my joke at the beginning where I was like, you know, if I suck, like Pastor Dave wins. And they're like, no, you were awesome. But like, I really meant a lot that many of you came out and said, um, you know, great job in speaking. So uh, my prayer is that today will not disappoint, um, but I will continue to uh, not just meet the bar, but raise the bar of what we're doing uh, here in this spin series. And don't forget August 23rd, we are re, uh, resuming our in-person Sunday morning gathering. So August 23rd, 10 a.m., we're going to be here at 5550 Oakland Drive meeting in person. And we would love to see a lot of you. I hope you all are excited as I am. And, you know, whether or not you are able to be here in person or maybe you have reasons to stay home, to, um, to not come and be in person, like we are all a part of the K-First community, whether um, you're here uh, gathered in person with us or whether you're online, our heart is to be one, to be one community. But August 23rd, uh, we are going to be meeting here Sunday morning uh, for the first time in what feels like a year. But thank God, um, you know, COVID did not destroy everything, at least not yet, it seems. Um, but we're moving forward with Sunday morning service. Would you, uh, before we dive into the message today, would you uh, join with me in prayer? Father, we thank you for your love, your grace, which you so lavishly and extravagantly demonstrated for us on the cross. God, I pray that our time together in your scriptures would ultimately point us to that love and that grace and that we would be shaped into that likeness even more, that we would be shaped into the image of Christ so that when we go out into our world, which is ravaged with a global pandemic and fear and worry, God, that we would be people of love and grace and that that would be our message to Kalamazoo and Portage. Lord, use my words. May they not be of me, but Holy Spirit, may they be yours. May you guide me as we... Speak about your scripture, and we pray that the, that the glory would go to Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen. So recently, I decided I wanted to eat healthier. Um, I'm not exactly the image of fitness, but you know, um, 
that's how it is. And I was like, you know, I'm getting a little older. I'm, I turned 28 this year. So some people are like, you're not that old. And I, I've been joking. I work with a lot of 18 to 20 year olds at Starbucks. And my joke is I'm the old man in the crew. And now they're like, yeah, you are the old man. So I was like, I probably should start eating healthier. And so I was uh, doing my grocery shopping and I was walking down the aisle with, I think I was getting butter or something. But if you know what's on the butter aisle, you know what's coming. There was chocolate chip cookie dough. So I'm like, man, I'm gonna eat healthier. This is gonna be great. I'm gonna buy the, all the groceries I need. I'm gonna be cooking at home. I'm not gonna be eating processed foods. I'm not gonna be out going out to eat all the time, even though Lee's chicken is awesome. And then you have the Jesus chicken that's competing. It's like, ah, which one? But you know, I gotta put that aside. I gotta eat healthier. And then I saw chocolate chip cookies and I was like, ooh, pretty sure the Holy Spirit just told me I need those. And in that moment, it's like, man, why is it every time you make a decision for something, it's like the thing you're like saying no to, it's just like, rah, like it just comes out of nowhere. And it's like, no, you want me. And if you know me, I love chocolate chip cookies. If you want me to be your friend, if you want me to do something for you, just give me some chocolate chip cookies. And I will, as short of murder, I'll do just about anything for chocolate chip cookies, okay? So... And I was like, man, I, I got them. I bought them. And my quest to eat healthier was destroyed. So although this is funny and it's something, it's like, man, Kyle, it's cool, but it seems like a really personal thing. Like maybe you need to work that out, not from the stage. I know I'm working on it. But it kind of brings to like what I want to talk about and what the scripture we're going to talk about kind of gets us started off at. And that's temptation. That temptation often feels so crushing and so overwhelming that it's like, man, like it, it comes out, it comes in a tsunami and it's like, how do I even get past this? You know, it just comes in and, psh, and you're just sunk and there's nothing you can do but buy the chocolate chip cookie dough and bake the entire thing and eat a whole sheet yourself. It's okay, I'm working on it. But that is often how we experience temptation. And, you know, as Christ followers, we're like, man, scripture, like, is there something for us that we can combat this? And a lot of times, this passage we're going to talk about today is what people gravitate towards. Um, and that is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. And maybe you've heard this before, but the idea is maybe you've been in a similar situation and someone, you know, a fellow Christ followers trying to encourage you. And so they say, hey, you know, there's no temptation that is beyond your abilities. Or, hey, God's not going to tempt you past what you can handle. And so that brings us to our passage. So 1 Corinthians 10, uh, verse 13. All of the scripture today will be in the NRSV translation. One of my personal favorites, but um, I'm biased. So anyways, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 reads, No testing has overtaken you. That is not common to everyone. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tested beyond your strength. But with the testing, he will provide the way out so that you may be able to endure it. And you may be thinking, man, this is great. Like, it's right to the point. You know, temptation sucks to be you, but God always has a back door, and it's, I just got to find it. Um, and you might be thinking, that's it. You know, we're done. Call it a night. Great sermon, Kyle. You made me laugh. And now I can go home and eat my chocolate chip cookies. Um, but as you know, in this series, we're always diving deeper into scripture. Like the question that we have to constantly ask when we come across verses that feel like great one-liners and just roll off the tongue and are tweetable um, is, is there more? Is there something 
below the surface. And when it comes to scripture, um, don't let the gold nugget distract you from the gold mine. Scripture is full of verses that just punch and they're great and they're wonderful and they're great to put up on a, a plaque or as my mom has an awesome print on the wall. I don't know how she did it, but probably took, it would take at least a week to do it. And, you know, that's not wrong or bad, but as followers of Christ and as readers of scripture, we have to constantly be asking, is there more to this? And never settle for what seems to be the easy grab. You know, man, that's great. And that's good. And it's not wrong to run out and say that, but is there more? And so that's what we're here. We're here to, to mine the depths of scripture. Is there a gold mine? And do we miss it because we find one gold nugget and we think we're all good? So in this series spin, we've been encouraging everyone as you read scripture to take three steps, three steps back. We encourage you to ask, what do they say? First, what do the surrounding verses say? Two, what does the paragraph say? And three, what does the chapter say? And these steps, um, they work forward and backwards. You know, sometimes when you come to a text and you read the verse and you're like, cool, but maybe there's more and you go take a step back and you read the verse and you're like, you know, that doesn't really make much sense. And then you can take another step back and find you're at the chapter and maybe you're just reading the whole book at this point. But it can often work the other way. Instead of slowly taking a step back, we can jump back to the beginning of the chapter and read towards our verse. So that's what we're going to do today. First uh, Corinthians 10, we're going to start in verse 1 and we'll go through verse 22. We're going to be reading a lot of scripture today. Um, crazy, I know. Who would imagine we'd be reading scripture at church? But we're going to read a lot. I'm really excited. So here we go. 10 verse 1. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them, and they were struck down in the wilderness. Now these things occurred as examples for us, so that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not become idolaters as some of them did. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink, and they rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell on a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. And do not complain as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. These things happened to them to serve as an example, and they were written down to instruct us on whom the ends of the ages have come. So if you think you are standing, watch out that you do not fall. No testing has overtaken you that is not common to everyone. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tested beyond your strength. But with the testing, he will provide the way out so that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from the worship of idols. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say, the cup of blessing and that we bless. Is it not sharing in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a sharing in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel are not those who eat the sacrifices partners in the altar. What do I imply then? That food sacrificed to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be partners with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake 
of the table of the Lord and the table of demons? Or are we provoking the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Clear as day, right? We got it. Thanks, Paul. You're the man speaking right to the point. Now I can go about my day working at Starbucks. If you're like me, I think going back and reading all this just makes things even more confusing. But again, we're in this series called Spin. So there has to be more. So it's the, the challenge in reading scripture when we're taking these steps back is don't throw in the towel too quickly. Oftentimes this will happen. You will read one verse of scripture and then be like, man, this is so clear. And then you read what's around it and you're like, now it's the clear little like bead in a giant uh, ocean of mud. But there's a reason for it all. And as readers of scripture, it's the challenge and the joy of reading it to dive into it. So let's do that. Let's dive in. So we'll start with verses one through five. In verses two through three, note that Paul says, all were baptized into Moses' cloud and sea. All ate spiritual food and all drank spiritual drink. And notice how it's contrasted with God was not pleased with most of them. So here's what's important about what's going on here. Um, notice the repetition of all. All passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud, which we'll get to that in a second. He keeps saying the word all, all, all. You know, all these people, all the Israelites were doing this thing, and yet God was not pleased with most of them. What Paul's doing here right now is he's connecting Israel in the desert, the time after they escaped Egypt, or God freed them from Egypt, with the church through baptism and communion. He mentions the cloud and the sea that, uh, you know, in verse 2, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. That idea of being baptized into Moses is a Paul thing. It's not, if you go back into Exodus, you're not going to see that the writers go, and then everyone was baptized by Moses. Um, no, it's, it's Paul making an argument right now. He's saying, hey, look at Israel, and they correlate to you. Look at how they were baptized through the cloud and through passing through the, the sea. And he makes note that of food and drink, of communion. The early church was known for communion, that they partook of the bread and the wine. And he says, look, at Israel did the same thing. These are the connections. These are your spiritual ancestors. But note that he says, you know, even though Israel was doing these things, these good things, God was not pleased with most of them. Well, why? So keep on reading. Verse 6. Now, these things occurred as an example for us so that we might not desire evil as they did. And if you look down a little ways, you see that in verse 11, uh, Paul uses almost the exact same verbiage. He, says, uh, verbiage. he says, these things happened to them to serve as an example, and they were written down to instruct us. So what, what is it that they did? What is it that is an example to us as a believers? And even in verse 6, um, you know, what is the example so that we won't desire evil? What's the evil? What's the example, Paul? And it comes between them. There's four specific references um, that Paul gives. And right off the bat, he makes it very clear what it is that Israel, the, the, 
their failure, even though they were baptized, even though they were communing with God, this was their heir. This is the example we are to heed. Verse 7, he says, Do not become idolaters, as some of them did. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink, and they rose up to play. Now, if you read that, um, you're like, cool, that seems pretty clear. Um, don't become an idolater. Sweet. You know, don't go to the mall and go to the cool Asian store with all the samurai swords and buy a Buddha and bow down to it. Like, don't do that. Um, it seems very clear. And then the next part is, you know, what, what is he, he, there's quotes. The people sat down to eat and drink and they rose up to play. Paul does not mince words. And this is a very specific reference um, to Israel. Again, remember he's, he's saying, he's writing Corinth Church, you know, the start of chapter 10. He's saying, yo, you know, guys, remember Israel is your spiritual ancestors. They had communion with God. They were baptized just like you. And remember the things, but just because they had those things doesn't mean they were all good. And and this is the specific thing they failed at, at idolatry. And so this passage right here, Paul is referencing the specific moment of the golden calf, of when Israel has just come out of Egypt. It's been only a few months. They're free from Pharaoh. Pharaoh has been defeated. The leader of the superpower of the day, God has crushed him and his armies in the Red Sea. And then they're at the feet of Mount Sinai. And Moses goes up to Mount Sinai to get... Uh, the law from God. And the law was how, as the people of God, are we to act? That is what the law. And so Moses is up there and the people go, you know what? This guy Moses is taking way too long. Yo, Aaron, here's all of our gold. Would you do something with it? And so he throws it in a fire and out comes a golden calf. And this quote that Paul has here, the people sat down to eat and drink and they rose up to play, is a direct quote from Exodus 32 verbatim. And so he's using this quote to call to mind the imagery that Israel is free, but in their freedom, they turn to idols. So that was a lot. I hope I didn't turn your brain to mush. There's a lot of scripture here that's really dense. And you're like, I'm not really seeing what this matters to our text. But to summarize, Paul is linking Israel to the church as the examples that should not be followed, namely idolatry. Um, it is in this frame of mind that the, the verses afterward continue. So verse 13, or where we go? Yes. So that's what's going on. He's saying all these things that, hey, remember Israel. Remember how they were like you. They were baptized into God. They communed with God, but that alone did not make them uh, did not please God fully. God was upset with most of them. And here's why, because of idolatry, that even though they had freedom and they were doing these things, they still fell to idols. And so verse 12 and 13, so if you think you are standing, watch out that you do not fall. No testing has overtaken you that is not common to everyone. God is faithful and he will not let you be tested beyond your strength, but with the testing, he will also provide the way out so that you may be able to endure it. So verse 12, Paul is saying, just like Israel, we face this in our day of idolatry that surrounds us. That Corinth, things were going on there that idolatry was in their midst. And he's saying, don't let pride catch you. In verse 12, 
So if you think you're standing, watch out that you do not fall. Do not fall to what? To idolatry as Israel did. They were freed from Pharaoh and yet the thing that brought them to their knees was not an army, but was pride and idolatry. And then verse 13, no testing has come. No testing, no testing has overtaken you that is not common to everyone. God is faithful and he will provide a way out. So at this moment, there's a lot there and I, I'm trying to go really fast and you're probably like, I'm a little confused, but I, you know, I think I can follow you. The pieces that are happening here, you know, Paul's saying, hey, remember Israel, they're like you. Idolatry is no good. That's the thing they failed at, but don't worry. You know, don't let yourself be taken away by idolatry and know that God will always provide a way out, that he will not allow your testing idolatry to overwhelm you and that you, uh, that God provides the way out. And so you may be thinking, cool, that's, that's all there is to it. Like, bam, we got it. Good to go. We can wrap this thing down, call it a day. Um, and you could to some degree, but I have the microphone and Paul's not done. So when it comes to scripture, it's great to be a, a great question asker. Ask as many questions as you can. So you may be asking, why is Paul talking about idolatry? Which is a great question. You guys are great readers of scripture. And to, to answer that, a lot of times in scripture, the, the way to answer questions is to just keep taking step back, steps back in the text. So in our case, we're gonna jump all the way to chapter eight in the beginning. And it reads right off the bat, chapter eight, verse one. Now concerning food sacrifice to idols, right off the bat, we know what's going on here. Paul is introducing a, a, a subject, something that's going on. Paul, the writer of this letter to Corinth, is writing about specific issues. And so right here in the text, we see, oh, Paul is now gonna address something that either A, the church wrote to him about, or maybe he heard about secondhand. And now he's going to address it. Concerning food, sacrifice to idols. Let's read verse one through six. We know that all of us possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Anyone who claims to know something does not yet have the necessary knowledge, but anyone who loves God is known by him. So right off the bat, again, we see that Paul is highlighting the topic, the issue at hand, food sacrifice to idols, in, that, in this idea of knowledge, that there are people within the community of Corinth that, have, that possess a knowledge that food sacrifice to idols doesn't mean anything. Why? Oh, continue reading. Verse four. Hence, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that no idol in the world really exists and that there is no God but one. Indeed, even though there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as in fact there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ through whom are all things and through whom we exist. So he's acknowledging this, that some people in the community of Corinth understand that even though there's food sacrifice to the idols, and in this day, in this Greco-Roman world that Corinth was situated in, oftentimes uh, temples to Greco-Roman gods would have these feasts. They would have a feast kind of ceremony before 
they would, uh, as like a rite or a way of worshiping the God, and then afterward they would take uh, the food that was used in the ritual or rite, and they would, they would eat it. And so we know from here that there must be people in Corinth who have enough status to be at these things, uh, or maybe they're just grocery shopping and just they know that, you know, Aphrodite's worship fest has the best lamb, so I got to hit that up before I head home. Um, and, but they know that there's no guilt on them. It's no skin off their nose because there is one God. Food sacrificed to another God means nothing because it, it's a mere nothingness. It's an image. It's, it, there's no weight to it. But Paul continues in verse 7. It is not everyone, however, who has this knowledge. Since some have become so accustomed to idols until now, they still think of the food they eat as food offered to an idol. And their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not bring us close to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better if we do. But take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if others see you who possess knowledge, eating in the temple of an idol, might they not, since their conscience is weak, be encouraged to, point, to the point of eating food sacrificed to idols? So, be, so by your knowledge, those weak believers for whom Christ died are destroyed. But when you thus sin against members of your family and wound their conscience, when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food is a cause of their falling, I will never eat meat so that I may not cause one of them to stumble. So Paul continues, he acknowledges, hey, you guys have this knowledge that you can eat food that's given to idols, no big deal. Oh, but by the way, even though you say everyone has this, there are some who don't because they have just come from these places. They just maybe last week were a part of these rituals and a part of these rites and in their very being meant everything when they sacrificed this food to this idol. And so by seeing the believers that possess this knowledge, which is not wrong, they are correct, partaking in the food that's sacrificed to these idols, these believers who are hot off the press of idol worshiping are now conflicted, and Paul even says, are to the point of your knowledge is destroying them, because you go and you are not, again, you're not wrong, you're partaking, but they see you and they go, wait a minute, does this mean we can like go worship Aphrodite for the lamb, but also you know, to partake of the bread on Sunday with the body of Christ? And so what's Paul's solution? What, what's, how does Paul solve all this? Verse 13, Therefore, if food is a cause of their falling, I will never eat meat so that I may not cause one of them to fall. So in chapter 8, again, we're trying to understand what's going on in chapter 10. We go back and we find, oh, Paul's talking about food sacrifice to idols. So Paul's dealing with a specific problem in the church at Corinth, and that was believers with knowledge that food sacrifice to idols means nothing were putting their fellow believers in harm's way. Paul, in essence, was trying or was saying to the Christ followers in Corinth, do not indulge in your freedom if it comes at the expense of your sister or brothers in faith. So that's the issue that's going on. And if you continue through the text in chapter nine, Paul makes a grand argument on himself that I as an apostle have abided by this rule, that I had freedom and I had rights that I could have partaken in as an apostle when I was among you and I did not, I did not do that. And then we get to our passage in chapter 10 
And here Paul turns it and makes another argument. He says, hey, on one side in chapter nine, I, you know, I as an apostle had freedom. I, I had knowledge. I knew these things, but I didn't partake because I cared for my, my brother and sister. That if it was a detriment to them, I will not partake of it. And then he kind of flips it on these people with knowledge's head and says, hey, guess what? Remember Israel? Remember how they had knowledge? They had freedom. They were free from Pharaoh. They wouldn't have to worry about that. They were free from idolatry. But what happened? What is it that they fell to? They fell to idolatry. And if we go back to chapter 10, we see how clever Paul is. Um, because when the, remember the quote from Exodus that I pointed out? Um, in verse 7. The people sat down to eat and drink, and they rose up to play. So Paul's second argument that he brings to these people of Corinth who say they have knowledge and are free is that, yes, you are right, but remember Israel. They sat down to eat and drink in front of idols, and look what happened to them. They fell. They failed. They fell prey to idolatry that they and they're partaking of the food and no big deal. Before they knew it, they found themselves putting something before God, putting something ahead of God. And so that's where, you know, when it comes down to our passage, it brings this great weight. You know, here's this great temptation, you know, these Corinthian churches, now they're, they're struggling with culture and being a new church and like we're Gentiles, but now we're trying to be, Ju we're also part of Judaism and there's a lot of things going on. And they're saying, well, we have knowledge. We can, be, we can partake of this food, no big deal. It's fine. And Paul says, no, be, be wary. You know, you are correct. Your knowledge is not wrong. But be careful because remember Israel and how they fell. But remember God, even in maybe your stupidity, is faithful. He will always provide a way out. So if you're like me, you may be thinking, this is, you know, kind of cool. It's a fun history lesson. And, you know, I don't really know about this idol worshiping thing or like eating food sacrificed to idols. Like, I know I'm not going to walk into uh, Earth uh, or Fresh Time tomorrow and be like, hey, that apple smoked bacon, was that sacrificed to anyone recently? Like, I can't partake of that. I know I'll take the peppercorn bacon. Um, why does this matter? You know, there's, you know, I just spent probably too much time trying to break all of Paul's arguments down, everything that's going on here. Maybe at the end of it all, you're like, Kyle, that's cool, but I'm just gonna stick with my one verse. I'm gonna stick with just, God will always give me a way, a way out that when temptation comes, that I know that God provides a way out, not of my own power. And that's okay. But there is deep truth and meaning that comes from all this deep work of reading and reading and, and breaking it down and asking, what is Paul getting at? And, and, this is, and this is what is the deeper truth that's happening in our text. You see, even though Paul is dealing with a church that is struggling and up against uh, idolatry, as we often think of it, as there's an actual image and I'm bowing down or I'm bringing food and sacrificing it, and we don't deal with that today, the deeper issue is how Paul addresses the church to deal with their freedom. How do you handle your freedom matters because your brother and sister's faith is not just on the line, but you and your knowledge and your freedom 
can, and unfortunately, maybe even as a side effect, destroy your brother's faith. So that is the deep question we have to wrestle with. How we handle our freedom today matters for the faith of others. This is the deep truth that Paul is unearthing in 1 Corinthians 8 through 11.1. This is one kind of thought. And this is what matters for us today. That the freedom in Christ still is ours. We still have so much freedom in Christ. And we could go on and on about what those freedoms are and you know how do we work them out. But we have freedom. So we have to ask, based from our reading today... How do we handle our freedom then, Paul? You're making all these crazy arguments and okay, I see we're getting at, you know, how we handle our freedom affects my brother and sister, but what do I do? You know, sometimes I really love bacon. Sorry, sorry you don't like bacon. Or I love chocolate chip cookies. Sorry you're living the dairy-free life, but you know, too bad. But But in all honesty, how do we handle our freedom? And Paul does address this. We handle our freedom in the framework that Paul advises us to adopt. These two specific pieces that Paul says, these, this is the way you handle your freedom. Going back to chapter 8, right off the bat is the first piece to this framework of operating in our freedom in Christ. He says, now uh, we'll go right to the point. He says, knowledge puffs up. But love builds up. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Paul calls the believers in Corinth to emphasize love over knowledge. Because knowledge will destroy a brother or sister. But love will build a brother or sister up. In his commentary on 1 Corinthians, Richard B. Hayes says this. Rather than asserting rights and privileges, we are to shape our actions toward the edification of our brothers and sisters in the community of faith. Whether Bible-thumping certainty about revealed truth or serene confidence in the latest scientific findings or passionate discernment of the right social causes, any knowledge that divides the community and causes the knowledgeable ones to despise those who are ignorant or uncertain is not being used in the service of God. If Paul were to come to our church today and to speak about the things going on here, this is what he would articulate. That if you care more about your knowledge than loving your brother and sister in Christ, then you have failed. You have fallen to the temptation that you have made freedom your idol and you have fallen at its feet. But when we choose love, love will always build up. And if you continue reading in 1 Corinthians, uh, maybe, you're, maybe your mind went here when I mentioned 1 Corinthians right off the get-go. Paul paints the most beautiful picture of what is love? What, what is it? 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. So this is the first piece 
to how we in the 21st century, in 2020, global pandemic, COVID-19, handle our freedom in Christ. It's love. Knowledge builds up. Or no, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The second piece of the framework Paul gives us in chapter 11, in this uh, chapter 8 through 11 is be imitators of Christ. At the very end of it all, in verse 1 of chapter 11, he says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. That as we seek out and ask ourselves daily, what what does love look like in this situation? Yes, I have my freedom, but what does love look like? We also bring in imitating Christ and saying, if Christ were me in this moment, how would he act? And Paul is a phenomenal writer, and he paints uh, an absolutely amazing picture of the, the image of Christ that we are to follow in Philippians chapter 2. He says, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness and being found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. This is the image of Christ. We, as Christ followers, have the joy and privilege of imitating of not considering ourselves to be equal, but to lower ourselves to the position of servant and saying, how can I serve you? In love, I come to you, not as one with knowledge and superiority, but as a servant who says, what can I do to help you become more like Christ? So to close, I have to ask this question after our great adventure through uh, this seemingly inconspicuous in small text. What would the church, the people who follow Christ, look like if we adopted the, this framework of love and imitating, imitating Christ? What would we look like? As we approach August 23rd and we look forward to resuming in-person gatherings, what would it look like if we all committed to lead with love and imitate Christ in our actions? What would it look like if we all cared more for our fellow Christ followers' faith over our own freedom, our own privileges, our own rights? What would it look like if we all individually and collectively ask, how do I build up and not puff up? This is Paul, his great articulation, all these references, all these nuance is saying that, guys, yes, you have freedom, but knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. What could K-First look like as a community if we chose to love and to imitate Christ, not just to each other, but even beyond to people who don't know Christ? How many people could be touched with the love of Jesus if we said, you know, I have knowledge, I have freedom, but I'm going to choose love. I'm going to choose to imitate Christ in this moment to you, even though 
you may be the most irritating human being on planet Earth, which there are many of those. To close um, and to wrap all this up, I want to introduce you to a confession that is something I'm working through that I, I try to say every single day. And the reason I, I want to end with this is because it's humbling. Confession is humbling. And that is has to be a part of our heart of love and, and imitating Christ, that we have to be humble. Again, knowledge makes us big, but Christ, in Christ we are humble. So I encourage you, um, we may make like a little graphic or something we can uh, post on Facebook and social media for you to, to come back to this confession later in the week. But I encourage you in this moment to, as we read through, as I read through this confession, to say it in your mind, to meditate on it, to think about what the words are saying and what it would mean for you if you live this out. Read with me. Most merciful God, I confess that I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what I have done, and by what I have left undone. I have not loved you with my whole heart. I have not loved my neighbor as myself. I am truly sorry and I humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me and forgive me that I may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name, amen. And the beauty of this prayer is that we know in Jesus Christ in his, in his death and resurrection, that we are forgiven and that in confession, we, not, we release any guilt, any shame of all the things we've not done and things we have left undone. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for your love and your grace that you so rav extravagantly and ravishly demonstrated on the cross of Jesus Christ and that you glorified that work in Jesus' resurrection and ascension. Father God, as we continue through this insane year of 2020, a global pandemic of fear, of anxiety, of, of unending verbal war, God, would you, through your Holy Spirit, guide us to be love and imitators of Christ? Would you teach us to let go of our freedom in love and as Christ would, so that we may build up each other to become more like you and that your name would be glorified as we do these things. We thank you, Jesus, that you did not leave us alone to do this work, that we do not have to work up the gumption and the effort to make this possible, but your Holy Spirit is here to guide us and to help us do these things. We thank you, God, for your scripture, which we have the privilege and joy of reading and mining its depths. And I pray that this passage uh, would explode in people's hearts and that they would encounter the love of Jesus Christ. We pray all these things in his wonderful, beautiful name, who is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. May you have an awesome rest of your day and may you continue to find how you can love and imitate Christ to those around you. Grace and peace.